Welcome to the Baby Sleep Podcast, where real families come to share their struggles and achievements, as well as road-tested tips and tricks from their journey to a sleeping baby. I'm Elizabeth Martin, and I'm passionate about giving a voice to this huge and often lonely aspect of the parenting journey. I'm so glad you're here. Hey there, and welcome to the Baby Sleep Podcast. My name is Elizabeth Martin, and I'm so excited to introduce myself and the podcast today on our very first pilot episode. My husband, Michael, and I live in upstate New York in Ithaca with our very adorable little son named Ethan, who was born in December of 2019. Right now it's February of 2021, Um, so we've been living through having a a new baby in the year of the pandemic, and I'm so excited to finally bring this podcast to life. What I've learned in the last year is that baby sleep is my new parent love language. Um, I learned so much that really genuinely shocked me how much I had to learn, what the learning curve was, how detailed and involved it was to understand how baby sleep works. And what ended up happening is that in the early days, I just wrote it all down. I have like a six page guide of notes that I've shared with some mom friends who were giving birth after I did. I've talked to them over text and on the phone and given some advice here and there based on what I knew. And ultimately, as I started having more and more of these conversations, I realized that there is a real lack of sharing this information and sharing stories about what it really takes and and how each family's um, circumstances are so unique and each baby is so unique. And so how do you manage that on the journey to getting your child to sleep and for you as a parent, getting back to the amount of sleep you were used to before you became a parent? So you might be wondering, though, how did I arrive at a podcast, right? And here's here's the stat that blew my mind. Um, In the first year of your child's life, you will put them down for a nap or nighttime sleep over 1,500 times. Truly, 1,500 times. And that sounds insane. But when you look at the number of what is developmentally appropriate for the number of naps for babies as they age, you know, from brand new newborns through that first, um, the fourth trimester, those first three months and beyond all the way through 12 months, as well as every night of bedtime, what you end up with is more than 1500 sleeping experiences in that first year of life. But yet, despite that, it is so hard. Baby sleep can make or break your relationship, your professional life, And so many parents, so many new parents spend that first year of life surviving, not thriving. And that's okay, right? We're all in survival mode. It's totally fine. But for me, what I struggled with is that I didn't want to just accept that. How could I be suffering truly so much and feel so frustrated and so helpless? There had to be a better way. I think in the parenting world, you know, people don't always talk about it. The days blur together. It is so hard to even maintain a basic like text conversation with a friend, let alone download what's actually going on. And so it can start to feel really out of control. Um, I feel like there's this situation, particularly around baby sleep, where the parents who figured it out, they don't talk about it, (laughs) right? Because they feel guilty. And the ones who haven't figured it out, 
they don't talk about it either. There's this huge culture of shame, whether your child is sleeping really well or whether your child is up, you know, every two hours for months on end. And the worst part is, you know, when you're pregnant and expecting, I found at least that every single person asked me, oh, are you having a boy or a girl? And we chose not to find out until uh, our son was born. But it was wild that that was the very first question everyone asked. And then almost the second that he was born, boom, the new question started. And every parent's already nodding their head out there because that question is, so how's the baby sleeping? And depending on your situation, you might have a lot of feelings when someone asks you that question. For us, I thought I had a plan for sleep before Ethan was born. Um, but in hindsight, I really was pretty clueless. Our, our plan worked for a while. Um, but ultimately, I had to do a ton of research and learn so many new things over his first year of life. And I was shocked, as I mentioned, both by how much information you really can find out there, but also how difficult it is to find it. By and large, it's not available in an easy, easily digestible format. In addition to the information situation and the unavailability is this other emotional bandwidth piece that baby sleep is so significantly tied to. Plenty of women experience postpartum issues. Mine manifested very much in a physical way where my body really struggled and I was just um, you know, physically limited in doing some of the caretaking that was required. And so that's where sleep becomes even more important. Yet emotionally, nobody wants to deal with it. You're a bad parent if your child is sleeping through the night because what did you do to get them that way? You're a bad parent if your child's not sleeping through the night because that's not healthy for them. And it's, you know, a damned if you do, damned if you don't, you lose no matter what situation. At least that's how I felt. And the guilt piece, I think, in new parenting, particularly all coalesces around sleep. And I said it before, but I think there's this stigma out there where if your baby is sleeping well, you feel guilty because you know that your friend's baby isn't. And if your baby isn't sleeping well, you feel guilty because you know that your friend's baby is. It's just this lose-lose situation. Everyone is struggling and struggling, and the guilt makes it so extra lonely to navigate this aspect of the new parent journey. But you might be wondering now a little bit about me and why am I doing this? I do not have any degrees in early childhood anything, in science, in children. Um, I'm actually a working professional, and my background is in very high-end guest services and customer experience design. So what that might mean is looking at a business process and how do you design every step along the way so that what you as a customer think is going to happen is the experience that's delivered to you as you engage with that company or with that product. And early in my career, um, I think this informs a lot of where I am today because early in my career, I went through a professional experience where things were just just a mess. It was awful. The operation I was working in was incorrectly staffed. We were insanely busy. We lacked robust processes. The entire team was sort of feeling like we just have to hang on until we get to the end of this and then we'll regroup and we'll deal with it then. We just have to get through today, 
right? Kind of sounds like parenting, honestly. So what happened? Um, in that professional experience, it went from bad, things were bad, to really bad. That mentality of like, we just have to get through today and we'll deal with it later was completely destructive. What ended up happening was each of the issues just kept compounding and snowballing. And in the end, we had so many frustrated clients and the work and the problems really spiraled out of control. And so it created a situation where the entire team was always behind the eight ball. We were always run ragged and the problems got bigger and bigger because we weren't solving them when they were small. And this experience early in my professional career fundamentally changed me. I started to look at problems in a whole new way. I have a new perspective and now well over a decade later, I'm rarely more satisfied in my job than when we can tweak a process or make a structural change that improves the experience for everyone, not just paying clients, but also for the staff. And I look at this as it relates to parents, you know, changing processes that don't just positively impact the baby or the kids, but are also good and healthy and, and helpful for parents too. What I've learned as doing this, like essentially as my career, is that a remarkable aspect of this sort of type of problem solving in the experience and, and the delivery of an experience is that so often the change that's actually necessary that can drive a huge positively improved outcome can be really small. It isn't an enormous overhaul. It's not sweeping and dramatic. It's not oftentimes even expensive in the work world. These small tweaks, small changes can add up to big payoff. And I like to talk about it like this in the workplace, right? There's nothing foolproof in life once you involve people. That's just not how it is, especially not in any kind of guest services environment. But I look at problems this way. If there is an issue that's going to come up 10 times and we can tweak a process so that we eliminate seven of those 10 instances and that technique is successful in eliminating seven of those 10, then we have dramatically altered our day-to-day operations. And that frees up so much bandwidth for the people delivering the experience. And that allows them to have the space and the time and the creativity and the energy to then start to look at other process improvements and maybe, you know, sort of pick away at those last three times that that issue is definitely going to happen. Or those three times when that issue does happen to meet that challenge you know, really well-prepared, not drained, not run ragged. So since that busy, brutal work experience that I described earlier, I've honestly completely centered my professional life around this concept, this idea that you can intentionally design a framework that allows everyone, employees and clients in the workplace, to be on the same page and drive the best possible outcomes. Now, you might be sitting here being like, I thought this was a parenting podcast. It is. And that's why I feel that the lessons that I've learned in my professional life, I mean, amazingly translate exactly to the situation where you can intentionally design a framework that allows everyone, parents and kiddos, to be on the same page and drive really positive outcomes for your family. And I feel like there are three steps to solving problems uh, in the way that I apply in my professional life and now absolutely apply in my parenting life. Step one, you have to be able to create the time and space to step back and objectively identify and assess the issues that you're faced with. Step two, you need to be empowered with the technical knowledge and understanding of how pieces work together 
because this allows you to more effectively think about possible solutions and anticipate the consequences of making a change. And step three, you have to find the energy and the bandwidth and build consensus. So in parenting, this might be between all caregivers to stop doing things the way, quote, just because that's how they've always been done and instead try something new consistently. This works in the professional world and it works in the parenting world. And so that brings us back to how did I get to this podcast, right? I became a mom just a month before I turned 35. I'm definitely on the older end of parenting. Uh, my husband and I feel like we have tons of friends who already have kids. I'm one of four siblings. All of my siblings already have kids. You know, we're on the later wave of folks that we know in terms of becoming parents. Um, and so what was funny though, and when I reflect on this last year, there was so much emphasis on pregnancy, the labor process, what were we planning? How were we feeling? What were we thinking? People ask questions or offered advice all the time, but around baby sleep, truly the only advice I think I ever got was the entirely generic and utterly unhelpful, you know, sleep now before the baby comes, which I never appreciated being told that because it, it wasn't relevant. It's not like you can bank sleep. I can't say, oh, I slept really well for the 10 years before I had a kid. So now I'm good to go for the next five years. Like that's not how it works. And so that advice is just, you know, almost like a little bit nasty in a way because it's setting parents up for this expectation that like, good luck, you're on a roller coaster that you can't get off of and it won't be fun. So see ya, right? And that just didn't feel good for me at any point. But um, as we've now learned, <laughs> I'm a very much a solutions person. And for us, you know, we had a good early first few months and I'm, I'm planning to do a full episode on my story, what worked for us, what didn't. But we had a few good early months and then we hit a, a bad point. Um, the short version is that for up until month four, things were good. By four weeks old, Ethan and I were in a really good place sleep-wise, and we had a very sustainable routine that lasted until that four-month regression. And then things completely fell apart. Um, ultimately, we did do some sleep training with Ethan just before he turned five months old. Uh, at the time that I'm recording this today, he's 14 months old, and I can tell you that he's, he's actually slept through the night ever since four and a half months. Yes, we've had some early wakings or some difficult bedtimes, but um, we have not gone back to a place with significant overnight wakings. I also did exclusively breastfeed until 10 months old. Uh, we then supplemented and I only stopped nursing actually relatively recently um, after Ethan was a year old. And he has 12 teeth. <laughs> he was an early teeth guy. So we've been through a lot of teething issues. And also he's a daycare baby. He's not home with me every day. Um, he sleeps in a different environment, has to deal with all of the changes that a school situation brings. Uh, these are all elements of our story, which I'll share in the future. But we dealt with all those. And because of some of the like fundamental techniques that I learned in this process and the, the real science and solutions, you know, we were able to set up a framework where he is able to successfully get enough rest and sleep through the night. 
one of the defining moments that led me to this podcast is that at our nine month checkup, the physician's assistant asked about sleep. You know, you get in there in the doctor's office and she said, Oh, how's the baby sleeping? And I told her he'd been sleeping through the night since five months old. She looked right at me and she goes, wow, you're lucky. And I, I mean, my blood started to boil and I looked right back at her and I said, there is no such thing as luck here. We put in a lot of hard work to get here. And that was honestly an aha moment for me. I was so floored. If the physician's assistant at a widely respected progressive pediatrician's office had nothing more but luck to attribute to my situation, what in the world was she telling other parents who walked into those offices totally distraught, desperate, exhausted, asking for help from the pediatrician. What advice was she giving them? And my hunch is none or it wasn't very good. I was floored at her reaction, especially because personally I attribute our success not to Ethan being a good sleeper or anything like that. I employed so many different strategies and techniques. I had buy-in from my husband. We were on the same page. We used tools and evidence-based approaches that set Ethan up for success and gave him the opportunity and us the opportunity to actually work together to achieve successful baby sleep. I will tell you, it was work. It was not an accident. It was work. But also, it was the best kind of work because there was this clear and obvious improvement in the experience for him, right? He was well-rested every day. He's a super confident and happy kid. He can handle a lot of stuff and a lot of change, roll with the punches because he's able to get that rest that he needs. And for us as parents, we were decently rested. You know, the first year is not uh, easy to be your, your most rested self, but we're decently rested. We're confident now in our kids' ability to roll with the punches, be put into new situations, et cetera. And what's most important is that both my husband and I have a lot more mental and emotional bandwidth available because we have sleep in our bodies to be able to handle all the other aspects of parenting that come up and continue to change. But the reality is I'm only one person with one story and a sample size of one kid who doesn't have that many extenuating circumstances. Since Ethan arrived, I've had a number of other friends who became new parents, and I've shared some of my hard-learned lessons and the tips and techniques I've developed. But with those conversations, it's also so obvious that everyone's experience is different. Everyone's kid is different. Everyone's challenged with some new or other kind of thing that feels special, unique, and sometimes impossible for them and their family. You know, not everyone's baby sleeps through the night early on. Not everyone has a partner that they're on the same page with. And not every tool out there, as evidence-based as it might be, works for every circumstance. And honestly, that's how I arrived at the Baby Sleep Podcast. You know, I had pediatricians who weren't giving great advice. I have other friends who all have slightly different stories or very different stories from my own. And I realized, wow, there is nowhere that parents can go to get this kind of information. And so my goal for this podcast is to create a space where parents and any kind of caregivers can come together to share their stories, describe their unique experience, talk about the tips and tricks for things that did work 
talk about the things that really didn't work, and ultimately remove that guilt, take away the taboo of talking about what it takes to regain a sense of sleep normalcy after welcoming a child to your family. My genuine hope is that by sharing ideas and admitting to missteps, that this Baby Sleep Podcast community will come together to break down the isolation, the guilty feelings, and all of the other um, difficult and lonely aspects of baby sleep that surround parenting culture and mom culture. Through sharing information, sharing stories, finding community, I hope that we can together empower parents who realize that they need sleep to function and be their best selves in their professional and personal lives, be the best parents to their kids, and also to create well-rested kids who are ready to thrive. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad that you're here. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Subscribe to the Baby Sleep Podcast wherever you get your content. Check us out on Instagram at the Baby Sleep Podcast and visit our website, www.babysleeppodcast.com, where you'll find individual episode notes, including links to products or resources mentioned in the conversation. And of course, send your parent friends our way because we could all use a little more sleep.